Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. We are living in a digital age of smartphones, social media, apps, and artificial intelligence. This is all new to most parents, and we are treading uncharted waters of the effects a child's digital blueprint can have on their lives. Julie Fisher is an educational consultant and coach who focuses on helping parents navigate the complicated task of balancing the digital world with the real one. She is a former teacher and has a background as an executive director of the nonprofit organization, Building Better Families for Action, where she created specialized curriculum and led educational programs for both parents and students that gave them answers to real life questions about tech and social media use. She is an author, keynote speaker, and a digital coach with private clients who also works with businesses. Julie helps parents cope with the chaos that comes from parenting digital kids by offering realistic solutions to help manage family tech use, keep kids safe online, and ensure that kids' posts don't hurt their future. This is a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Julie. Hi, nice to see you. It's great to see you too. And I have been looking forward to this talk. Anything that can help me with electronics, technology, and our kids has me on the edge of my seat. And it just makes me very excited. So I am looking forward to this talk with you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here and can't wait to dive in. Oh, wonderful. So we always like to ask our guests within the first two minutes of starting our chat with you to talk about you, to tell us who you are, to tell us a little bit about what you do. I gave everybody a hint already. And to tell us what your current struggles are, whether that is as a mom or a caretaker or just life in general, but you can choose what you want to focus on, but you have two minutes to do it. And we can't wait to hear what you say. I'll give you a little bit of background. I started my career, well, I started my career as a buyer for Macy's, and then I quickly switched to education, got my master's degree in education in Chicago, and then went on to becoming a high school teacher. I taught on the South Side, I taught in Evanston, and then I taught in Metro Detroit, where I uh, stayed. I grew up in Metro Detroit, and I actually stayed there to raise my kids. And only in the last two years left to move to Florida because the thought of another pandemic winter was unappealing. Oh, we picked up sure. and left. <laughs> um, so part of my evolution after teaching, I left when my kids were little, stayed home with them because as a teacher, I didn't make enough to pay for childcare, really. So I stayed home for a number of years and then took a job once they were in upper elementary school as the director of a community nonprofit, which had been focused on educating parents in the community about preventing risky behaviors in kids and teens. So around 2008, 2009, the, the hunger was less for drugs and alcohol stuff and more for smartphones, for social sure. media, protecting kids online. There was no roadmap. Um, we all grew up with drugs and alcohol and had those talks with our parents or our teachers or and those experiences. But as parents, we didn't grow up with these devices that um, our kids were using. And there was only so much interest in the stranger danger stuff that sheriffs and prosecutors were talking about. So I wrote curriculum to educate parents and educate kids. And so I started speaking at schools. It then occurred to me as my kids were getting ready to go to college that 
I wonder if what kids share online, all that I was watching my kids with Snapchat. Um, oh, and yes. you know how they hold up the camera and they make a face and then they send it to a friend and they look like idiots, but you know, they think <laughs> yes. it just disappears. <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, gee, like, what would somebody think of my kid if they saw some of these pictures and, you know, all the other things that I knew kids were sharing online. So I ended up founding a tech company called The Social You, where we created social media report cards for kids that could identify for them any post in their past that could cause them trouble with college admissions or jobs. And we knew what the problems were because our first hire for the company was the former head of admissions for the University of Michigan, who then introduced us to the heads of admission for schools all over the country. And we got to ask those questions about what they do with social media, when they use it, and how it can affect outcomes. And I got to speak at those conferences and talk firsthand with college admissions officers from all over the country. So I did that for a few years till we decided to pivot, spoke around the country, still speaking and consulting. But I've also done a lot of things with youth mental health and I am working with parents, I'm working with schools, I'm working with students, I'm working with employers, all about educating about social media, digital footprints, online safety, all that kind of stuff. Did I make it? I probably didn't make it in under two minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I, you can breathe. I'm you can breathe. Sure, long-winded, but, like that's my, yes. Okay, listeners, you can understand now why I have been really anticipating this conversation with Julie, because she's got a lot of smarts. and. She's going to share them all with us in the next hour. So yay, I'm excited to talk to you. Okay, I am going to ask you a fun question. You have no idea what it is. There's no prep. We're just going to throw it at you. So I just want you to choose a number between one and 10. Seven. What or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the last year? What or who? That's a... Really good question. Um, (laughs) uh, That's a really good question. I have not thought about that. You are really surprising me. She's stumped. (laughs) Probably, you know, my kids have made the biggest impression on me as my kids are in their 20s right now. And just watching them kind of navigate this world through the pandemic and then post pandemic. And they've been able to navigate it, even though missing out on a big chunk of their, you know, their time when they should have been out there socializing and doing all these things, they've been able to pivot kind of with such finesse in a way that I was not able to pivot. I am proud and I am in awe of how they just kind of were able to go with the flow and adjust and adapt their lives. Yeah. So you had mentioned being a high school teacher. I'm a former high school teacher as well. And people, when I mentioned that people are always like, Oh, high school teenagers. Ew. You know, and I love teenagers. And I think as you're approaching those college years and into early adulthood, I think there's so much promise when we look at them. I think there's so much compassion and, and resiliency as, as you were just describing. I think that's a big part of what I love about that generation and being around them and spending time with them. And yeah, to see it in your own kids, you did that. You gave them that you, you taught them that in some capacity. (laughs) It was was mostly me just saying, no, figure it out for yourself, but uh, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I'm not going to solve the problem for you, but uh, anyways. Um, on the fly, that's the answer I'm given. I'm sticking with it. It was a beautiful answer. I loved it. 
Julie, you've been educating people in one way, shape or form for the past 29 years. You had talked about that a little bit. Oh, should I not? (laughs) Actually, that's just showing wisdom. You just have wisdom. Really? Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to take that one. Okay. Absolutely. But throughout your evolution in teaching, there's been a boom in tech use. It became apparent to you that there was a need for support in the areas of tech and parenting, as well as tech and social media use in the workplace. Also through your experiences, you recognized a need to address how young people in the 21st century don't seem to have the coping skills to deal with adversity and they lack the ability to persevere when the going gets tough. As a result, you created a resiliency curriculum for parents and educators, and you wrote a book on the subject called The Resiliency Puzzle, which I want to read. Is there a relationship between the increase in tech use and the drop in coping skills within our youth? I think absolutely there is. I think Kids used to be much more self-reliant. They had to figure out ways to do things. And now you don't have to do it yourself. You've got that device in your hand. I can ask Google. I can ask Siri. I can ask Bard. Whoever is in my hand to solve my problems for me or tell me how to do something. So even something as simple as, you know, how do you make an egg? Or where do I go to get a light bulb? Um, all of those things, all, all of that kind of adulting stuff that, you know, we had to figure out our kids don't have to rely on themselves. So interestingly, what I found is that, and, and frequently, instead of even asking Google, they're going to call mom or dad and ask mom or dad, who then frequently will have to Google the answer themselves to give the child the answer, depending on what they're doing, instead of just saying, I'm going to figure out how to do this myself. And I'm going to try and try and try again, till I get it right. And, you know, even when I taught in the 1990s, I stopped teaching, and then I went back in the 20 teens to teaching high school, the difference that I saw between my 90 students who did not have smart, yet they weren't using smartphones that, you know, even if they had a dumb phone, that was a big deal back then. And the ones in the 20 teens who were my kids' ages blew my mind. The lack of self-confidence, the lack of, you know, just trusting themselves that I can do this. I have the skills. I I can figure it out because they don't need to do that anymore because they have those devices in their hands. I also think the explosion in competitive parenting has done quite a bit to push kids' resiliency skills down. As parents are doing more and more for their kids because they want their kids to you know, keep up with the other guy. And so they're jumping in, they're micromanaging kids' lives in a way that we didn't see when we were all growing up. I think that affects it too. We grew into adults because we had to. There wasn't a failure to launch. There was no such thing as adulting. That wasn't the thing, you know, for adults of a certain age today. And now you've got businesses that revolve around adulting, which kind of boggles my mind. So I think, you know, that that marriage of technology with us looking on Facebook, what are all the other parents doing? What are they saying? What's all the noise and trying to keep up with everybody else? And have, I, I just think all of that has led to drops in self-esteem, has led to drops in perseverance and just being resilient and knowing I'm going to get it. I can do this. 
So you've talked about some of the effects of the digital boom being confidence, the inability to think on their feet, really, because they're resourcing their phones faster than they can try to create the result in their own mind. What are some other correlated changes to the digital boom that we might not be aware of right now that down the road may affect them as they change? Like I worry about this all the time with our kids trying to, I'm just so interested to know what could possibly be affecting them. I think, you know, we're seeing a decrease in social and communication skills because these kids are so much more comfortable behind a screen than they are out from the screen. And even like in the workforce, you're seeing employees who don't want to pick up the phone and call a client. They want to, can I just text? Can I just chat? Can I just email? And along with that, I think, you know, besides the verbal thing, the written thing, because we're so used to the informality of text speak and just kind of, I'll just shoot you a quick email without understanding that there are kind of social norms and mores, especially in the business world that, you know, these kids are getting. I also think critical thinking skills have suffered since answers are one click away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. you, you don't you don't get to put on that critical thinking cap like we all had to. Living your life for public consumption, mm-hmm. um, I think, is another kind of effect that we're seeing as young people and, and even Older people, you know, based on what they see online, are developing unrealistic expectations for what their lives ought to look like or who they ought to be based on what they see online. It's so easy to compare yourself to all of these other people for getting the filters that are out there. And we're only seeing the highlight role of everybody's lives out live. We're not seeing real life. Absolutely. But that's hard for a kid to understand. You know, as adults, we can understand it. But as kids, they're... That, you know, they're still, their brains are still growing and developing. Mm-hmm. I would also throw in, so I just finished reading How to Break Up with Your Phone by Katherine Price. Mm-hmm. And I love that one. It's a good one. It's, it's such yeah. a short read, highly recommend. But uh-huh. she goes into a lot of research and she shares, this is particular to adults, but she shares the research of how our phones and this technology is impacting our memory. So if you think about children who have this from a much younger age, the long-term impacts of that, because this is affecting adults. And I know in my generation, I didn't have a phone as, as a seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, I didn't get, a, and it was not a smartphone, but I didn't get one until I was 16. And yeah, it, the, the statistics are really scary about how it robs the ability to hold on to information and you can't keep that in there you're looking for something, our reliance on maps, our rely, you know, Google maps, not right. the, the paper maps. And <laughs> well, also well, the, yeah. the introduction of AI, I'm blown away by what happens when you use AI technology. You don't even have to think, you don't have to write a resume. You don't have to write a business plan anymore because the computer does it for you. What is that going to do to everyone's minds? It's a scary thought. And I I think we won't know for a while yet. I mean, right now, all that AI is fun. As we migrate to Web3, it's only going to become just more a part of our everyday life and everything that we do. And so I think as parents, we ought to be concerned and we ought to be thinking about ways to supplement 
some of that brain learning behavior. Um, you know, how many phone numbers could you remember when you were a teenager? Because you right? had to. And yeah. today, I still remember, can't even <laughs> remember their their parents' phone number. Yeah. You know, like it's a it, it's crazy. This episode of Mama Needs a Moment is sponsored by Camp Gladiator. Camp Gladiator is a health and fitness platform for all ages and fitness levels. They provide workouts that are designed and trained by certified personal trainers. Whether that is through their outdoor fitness platform, live online workouts, or through their on-demand library. They also have certified nutrition coaches and registered dietitians who offer nutrition coaching. I love working out with Camp Gladiator and have been for almost a year now. I think one of the things I love most is the positive environment and community that not only works out together, but also becomes a family outside of camp while supporting and giving back to the community. CG members can participate in an unlimited number of workouts each month. And the super fun outdoor workouts include dumbbells along with other fitness toys, which are my favorite, the balls, the bands, the ropes, the fire hoses, so much fun. And the virtual workouts use dumbbells and other things that can be easily found around your home. Camp Gladiator members have a primary trainer that will keep you motivated, accountable, and will be there to do all they can to help you get the most out of your fitness journey. CG is also great for moms. I can't remember how many camps I've been to where I've seen moms with their children in tow, whether in a carrier, a stroller, plus you'll see older children working out alongside their parent, which is always awesome to see. Sometimes they even use their children as an extra weight or just to bring them into the movements because they want to. They have an amazing number of workouts that are offered all throughout the day. You can catch outdoor and live online workouts from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. And the on-demand ones are available 24 hours a day. Anyone can join Camp Gladiator for a full week of free workouts. Get your free week using the link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the paying attention piece, that was another part that was mentioned, the memory and the ability to just sit with a task, like reading a book. It's hard even for adults to sit and read a book now because we are like, oh, I had a thought. Let me grab my phone. Oh, I want to check this. What was that name? Let me grab my phone. And it's even more so for kids and adding in social media and, and all of those things. I have heard countless horror stories about Cyberbullying, which is one of my biggest fears, raising a child on either end of that situation. The use of social media and other apps to track kids, not necessarily by parents, but by other people. Safety on different gaming systems. What sort of things should parents think about or be made aware of that many may not know about when it comes to the online safety of their kids? So I think the first thing that every parent needs to do, even before your kids are online, before you get your kid, especially before you get your kids their own device, is you have to start talking about tech. This is not a one and done conversation. This is a three to four days a week conversation that should just, I read an article, I saw this, have you heard about that? You know, What do you think of this? Can you explain to me what this is or how this works? There are lots of ways to bring you know technology into daily conversations. I think the other thing that we have to do as parents is we have to be a safe adult for our kids. So what do I mean by that? We have to let our kids know first and foremost, 
our job is to help them navigate the digital world as they learn to be a rider on that train. Because so often our kids think, well, if I tell my mom or I tell my dad that I saw something that made me uncomfortable or somebody sent me something or I I got onto an app I know I wasn't supposed to be on, I'm going to be punished. So I'm not going to tell them. And frequently that's where I get phone calls to fix serious problems for kids and families. Because as you know, when something is made digital, whatever the issue is can explode in seconds or minutes, as opposed to, you know, that rumor that was spread when you were in middle school, and it took, you know, two weeks to get around the school, and then it took two, you know, like, things move super quick in the digital world. And so when kids understand that you are a safe person to come to, when something happens online, they are much more likely to come to you. If they think you're going to take away their device, they're not going to come to you. And the situation is going to get really worse really quick. So making sure that from the get-go, I'm here to help you. It is my job as your parent to teach you how to stay safe online. And as you're learning, I know you're going to make mistakes. I expect you to make mistakes. And so I want you to come tell me You're not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to take away the device. We're going to talk about changing the rules, maybe depending on what happened. You know, there could be limitations. It's not totally off the table, but it's more important that they come to you than it is that your rules are followed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, As parents, we also need to change our expectation. So, you know, there is kind of, this expectation that if I'm monitoring my child, if I have parental controls turned on, they're not going to make any mistakes. Hmm. They're going to make mistakes. And by the way, they find a workaround for everything. So it doesn't matter. They say that all the time. (laughs) They are going to figure out a way around it because it's their job. It was the same way, you know, when I was a kid and I figured out how to bypass the alarm system to sneak out of the house. Uh (laughs) That was my job as 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 a teen. So I think we just have to be aware of all that as parents, that this is kind of going on in the background. I would say monitor your kids and explain why you're monitoring them. Do not be stealthy. Do not go behind their back. Let them know. Again, it is my job to keep you safe online and to teach you how to use technology safely and appropriately. I can't do that if I'm not monitoring you. I'm not going to comment on your posts online. (laughs) I'm not going to call you out online. We'll take the conversation offline. However, it's my job to monitor you. I would also say for kids, privacy settings, if they're available on an app, need to be turned on. Again, think about this like training wheels. You don't give them a bike, a two-wheeler bike, and let them go off without ever riding a trike or riding with training wheels. Same thing when it comes to technology. And remembering that parental controls are not foolproof. Your kids will get around the parental controls that you install. So, well, they can be helpful. Don't rely on them. So those would be kind of my recommendations to at least start thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. So important. And I I do think it's so important to be aware that those parental controls are not foolproof. And I always remember watching my high school students, my teenagers, and, you know, I would, I hear you overhear them talking. And I've mentioned this many times before, but I've heard students that, you know, their parents said, no, no social media, you can't have a Facebook account. 
what do you think they did at their friend's house when they're having a sleepover? They set up a Facebook account that mom and dad know nothing about. So I'm always kind of in that headspace that I would much rather know and be aware and have those parental controls and have that open line of communication with your child. It's just so important. So as you said, having those conversations often frequently and starting at a young age and, and just keeping that open line of communication is so important. But one of the big questions and battles, I know Cindy talks about this all the time, being a battle in her house is the age. Like, when is it okay? When and parent and child probably are not going to feel the same about it. So how do you suggest parents determine the right age for their children to have social media accounts, to get a smartphone, to get a dumb phone, to begin creating their digital footprint, aside from what parents perhaps have already started creating for them through their own social media use, which we'll talk about in a minute. But for the kids, when is when is appropriate? Giving your child a phone should be part of a larger kind of family technology plan. In other words, you need to know what your rules are before you hand them the device. So if you don't have a family tech plan, you need one, even if you've already given your kids a phone, because stuff is going to happen. As I said, you know, your kids are going to make mistakes online. Our inclination is, you know, when they screw up, we go right to catastrophe. And, you know, that's when you shout, no phone for a month, no phone for three months, no conversation online, all social media goes away. Like, that's where we go. When we have a plan in place and we know, okay, first defense is this, this, you know, this is how I'm going to handle it. These are my guardrails. I've actually explained to my child and shown them, you know, what's okay and what's not okay. It goes much smoother. That being said, there is no right age, although in the United States, the average age for that first phone is 12. In some areas, it's younger. It really isn't older than 12. Does that mean your kid gets a phone at 12? Absolutely not. There are a couple of questions that I talk to parents about asking themselves before they purchase the device. Does your child need a phone or do they just want a phone? There isn't a two-year-old out there that doesn't want a phone. <laughs> they actually need a phone. So, you know, once they're, for instance, in middle school, and maybe they're staying after school for sports or activities, and, you know, there aren't the accessibility of pay phones isn't there anymore the way it used to be. So, you know, if, if plans change on the fly, things come up, then you might need a device where your child can contact you. Are they responsible enough for a device? Phones are expensive. And so kids don't necessarily understand that. So we have to explain that to them. Are they mature enough to follow your rules? So you've laid out, you, you know, your plan, your rules, your guardrails, your guidelines. Can they follow them? And understand, by the way, your safety concerns. Because we have to explain to our kids, this is why you have rules. This is why I'm saying you can and can't do X, Y, or Z or share X, Y, or Z. Because there are real safety concerns that you might not think about, but they're on my mind all the time. And then finally, can your child understand that having a phone is a privilege, not a right? So many kids think, you know, I'm in middle school. I, I have to have a phone. Everybody else has a phone. And, you know, well, your oldest child could be ready for a phone at 12. Your youngest child might not be ready for a phone till 14. Um, because they can't follow your rules. They can't protect the phone and keep it safe and not damage it and all that kind of stuff or be counted on to use it accordingly. I, I'd also say it's okay. There, you know, there are a couple of kid-friendly smartphones out there. Again, I'm going to go back to that training wheel idea. Trumi and Gab have some 
their their smartphones, their Samsung's phones, but they come installed with certain controls that you can access from other places where you don't have to be super tech savvy to install this stuff. They don't allow certain apps. They have kid-friendly apps. So if you're thinking about a starter phone, I might start there as opposed to a purely dumb phone because the phone doesn't work for the child if they can only make phone calls. They have to be able to text. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are certain, they want, they, you know, you want them to be able to hear their music or whatever that is that, that they want to do. But you also have to, you know, that can be a stepping stone if you're not comfortable getting them the smartphone right out of the gate. Love that. I'd love to di uh, dive into what I've heard you term sharenting. Sharenting is basically how what we share as parents can have a negative effect on our kids today and well into their future. Can you talk to us a little bit about what sharenting is? Why do we need to consider the ramifications? And then this is an interesting twist that you had mentioned to me in an email that I would really love to hear about why your kids' grandparents could be putting them at risk when they grandsharent and what to do about that. So yeah, sharenting is essentially when as a parent, you share pictures, video in, or information about your kids online. And what we don't realize we're doing is every time we share anything about our children, um, we are adding to their digital footprint, which is going to follow them. And it opens the door to a lot of things when we do that, like identity theft um, is rampant with people stealing children's identity that you don't realize until they're 18 and you're applying to college or you're getting a bank account or whatever it is. And somebody has been masquerading as your kid for a long time. Cyberbullying and certainly grooming, which is a whole other mm -hmm. can of worms. Over three quarters of parents have shared stories, videos, images of their kids or stepkids on social media. When parents share, over 80% of them will use their kids' real names. So now I can look at your Facebook page and you've shared cute little Madison online. I know Madison's first name. I know Madison's last name. I know where Madison lives. I know what school Madison goes to. I know what Madison's pet names are. I know, like all of this stuff that all of a sudden a stranger can find out. And by the way, those images that you're sharing contain metadata. That metadata for somebody who is a little bit tech savvy, and you don't have to be terribly tech savvy, it contains the location where the image was taken. So now somebody can find out, you know, as you're taking, you know, sharing that first day of school picture, where your child goes to school or where your home is. And it just becomes super invasive. In addition, just by the way, those, you know, back to school plaques that kids hold up, never, 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 never share those. My favorite color, my pet's name, my teacher, my school, my grade, all that stuff that's on those plaques, you know, that we're holding up for the first day of school. Take those pictures, keep them at home on your own devices. Do not share them. If you want to share the picture, share it without the plaque um, and share it in a closed group. You know, a quarter of parents have their social media apps turned to public, and that means anybody can see their posts. Eight out of 10 parents are friends with somebody online they've never met in real life. Again, you are opening up your child's digital reputation to a stranger, and not only their digital reputation, but their offline reputation as well. There are predators out there who will take pictures of your child and use them on sites that as parents, we would all think are inappropriate to attract 
other people who are sexual predators. And with AI, you can take the head of somebody, you can make them appear like they're talking, you can age them. It's really scary. And most of us, as I said, are not asking our kids permission. So by the time your kids are eight or nine, you should not be sharing anything of them or about them without saying, are you okay if I share this? And explaining why you're asking. Again, once you post something, once you put something out there, you are giving up control of that content. Doesn't matter if it's in a closed group or not. If you and I are talking in a private text chain, we're texting each other, and I text you this cute picture of my child, there's nothing I can do to prevent you from sharing it anywhere you want. Once you make something digital, you give up control of your privacy. And that's a talking point, a conversation you have to have with your kids over and over and over again. But we forget that as parents. For grandparents, they don't get it. So the parents today understand, have a much better understanding of data and content and, and digital footprints. Grandparents do not. I cannot tell you how many grandparents, great aunts, great uncles, you know, the, the generation that is a little bit older, they love their devices. Frequently, you can't get them off their devices, like you're at a family dinner and they're all, all the grandparents are on their phones and your kids know the rules and they're not on their devices. And you have to say to the grandparents, can you put the phone away? We're having trying to have dinner. They want pictures of your kids. You're sending them pictures of your kids and then they're putting them on Facebook. So now you have this whole other layer of people who are now commenting about your children and could be sharing them with other friends. Like you just don't know. So the rule needs to be and the conversation with grandparents needs to be, if I send you a picture or video of my child, you may not share it with anybody else unless you ask me first. If you don't have my explicit permission, you may not share it. End of story, hard stop. Because yeah. they don't understand the they don't understand the permanence. They don't understand how it could affect children later. They're just not, you're reading all the parenting stuff. They're not. They've parented already. Yeah, absolutely. That's true in many areas. <laughs> Gosh, I, you know, that is such a, a difficult conversation because, you know, I, I think so many people in, in our generation we kind of were introduced to social media and sharing and it is a part of how we stay connected. And uh, it's also just become sort of a part of our culture. I, I like, it's, it's just something we engage in. So that is definitely a mindset shift that needs to happen oh, yeah. for, for parents to say like, okay, I'm not going to share anything. And, and certainly when they get a certain age, I would hope that that would just be common sense for most people to ask the child's permission and to understand that most kids might not want things shared. But we do have this thing where we show our cute babies cheeks and say, look at these cheeks or, you know, and, and just sharing that. Really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Personally, I am so grateful for the work that Julie does to support parents and families with the use of electronics. They are definitely a source of stress for me. Here are our three takeaways from this episode with Julie. Number one, Julie compared the difference she saw in her students when she taught in the 1990s who did not have smartphones and with her students from the 20 teens who did have smartphones. She noticed that there was a relationship between the increase in tech use, 
with various coping skills within our youth. There was a lack of self-confidence, a lack of trusting themselves that they have the skills to figure something out. She noticed a decrease in social and communication skills because kids are so much more comfortable behind the screen. Julie went on to say that she also thinks critical thinking skills have suffered since children can use their phones to find answers that are one click away. She thinks another kind of effect that we're seeing in our young people and even older people is that they're developing unrealistic expectations for what their lives ought to look like or who they ought to be because they're basing it all on the content they see online. Number two, when we asked about ensuring our children's online safety, Julie said that the first thing every parent needs to do before our kids are online, and especially before we get our kids a device, is that we have to start talking about tech. This is not a one and done conversation. She said that this is a three to four days a week conversation. There's a lot of ways to bring technology into daily conversations. Perhaps mentioning an article that you read, maybe asking if they've heard about something in particular, asking them what they think about something, or perhaps asking if they can explain something to you about how something works. She also stressed that as parents, we have to be a safe adult for our kids. Julie said, quote, we have to let our kids know first and foremost, our job is to help them navigate the digital world as they learn to be a rider on that train, end quote. This is so important because by understanding that we are a safe person to come to when something happens online, kids are much more likely to come to us for help. It's our job as parents to teach our children how to stay safe online. They're going to make mistakes, but Julie stressed that it's more important that they come to us than it is to have our rules followed. And finally, Julie mentioned that there is an importance for parents to change expectations. Understanding that parental controls are not foolproof, but while they are helpful, we don't need to rely on them completely. Number three, we discussed the topic of sharenting. Julie stated, sharenting is essentially when as a parent, you share pictures, video, and or information about your kids online. And what we don't realize we're doing is every time we share anything about our children, we're adding to their digital footprint which is going to follow them throughout life. And it opens the door to a lot of things like identity theft, using their picture in extremely objectionable ways, etc. Once something is digital, you give up control over your privacy. And that is a continuous conversation we have to have over and over and over again with our children. We also need to be very clear in our rules with others that they need your explicit permission as a parent before posting or sharing anything concerning your children online. Make sure you come back next week when we continue our discussion with Julie and talk about the benefits that perhaps we aren't seeing in our initial critique of these technologies. We also talked to Julie about suggestions on designing a roadmap that a family can implement right away and so much more. High five, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you've enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.